uh, together. It's uh, one of my favorite psalms. Um, as a matter of fact, it was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. Every day what he would do is he would go out and he would look out his window and he would look up to the heavens and he would sing this psalm. History tells us every single day. If you ever find yourself going through hard times, I want to encourage you to run to God. And one awesome route to run is the 46th Psalm. Uh, it offers peace for God's people uh, with even problems like the devil. And, you know, if you guys aren't going through hard times right now, um, you know, you will. So it's always good to tuck it away in your heart. You know, as today I was talking to a, a mom who uh, who has gone through so much or her son actually uh, committed suicide. And, you know, you talk to these people and the things that they have gone through. And, uh, man, you know, it really, really opens our eyes, uh, you guys, uh, just asking God to give them strength. And even for you, as you uh, see it ahead, as you see it behind, that the Lord would do that work, that he would be everything to us. Um, here, the context of Psalm 46, most people believe, I, you know, F.B. Meyer, Warren Wearsby, um, all these guys, John Corson, Chuck Smith, they, they generally believe that the background of Psalm 46 is the time in which the Assyrian army surrounded Jerusalem. And that's a real incredible story. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 18 through 19, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32 as well as Isaiah 36 and 37. Now, I don't know if that sounds kind of uh, puzzling to you or, or funny to you, but to me, it, it's pretty interesting that God would record something, a historical event like that, three times. And I would venture to say that if God repeats it, that it's something he really wants us to know. You know, as a matter of fact, I thought even before we get into the psalm, it might be a really good idea to go back and to read it. And probably the, the, the shortest version is over in Second Chronicles 32. And so let's go ahead and go there to Second Chronicles. And I know some of you are familiar with this story, but man, it is always good to remind yourself of such a situation. Because it says here in Second Chronicles in uh, 32, it says in, in verse 1, it says, And after the deeds of faithfulness, uh, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. It's kind of interesting. Notice there in verse 1, After these deeds of faithfulness. Uh, Hezekiah was uh, used by God to bring reform to the nation of Israel. He was a faithful king. He wasn't a perfect king. We see he made some mistakes later on in his life, but he was a godly man. He was a man of integrity. And, you know, I know the Lord's doing a work in our lives. He's doing a work through your lives. And, you know, I, I wish that, you know, when we kind of get ourselves set in the right direction, that everything would be hunky-dory, that everything would fall in uh, place and it would be nice and cozy and comfortable. But, but, but let me tell you, man, it's never, ever, ever like that. Um, the devil doesn't kick a dead horse. He kicks somebody who's involved, somebody who's making a difference. He will come and he will oppose you. And that's exactly fine what took place in the life of Hezekiah. After these deeds of faithfulness, he came and he entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities 
And he was going to win them over to himself. That was in his heart. Nothing had stopped him up to this point. And he thought for sure he was going to get the victory in this case as well. And so in verse 2, it says, And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. So Sennacherib is coming into the southern kingdom of Judah. He hasn't arrived in Jerusalem just yet. Hezekiah, who had dug uh, wells uh, to bring water into the city, uh, some say thousands and thousands of feet of uh, wells, um, because Jerusalem was one of the few cities of antiquity that wasn't built on a river. And so they knew if ever the day came that they needed this type of defense. And so as these wells were dug, Sennacherib, now what he does is he covers them. Hezekiah covers them so that when Sennacherib arrived, he wouldn't see them. And so it says in verse 5, And he strengthened himself. He built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo and the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. And then he set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement. And he said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Because with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You know, most of you here probably know the story. You know how it ends. In the end, one angel of the Lord will come and slay 185,000 Assyrians. This is an amazing thing. And you know, you see the uh, preparation of Hezekiah and you see the way he's encouraging his army and he's doing pretty much everything that he can do. And that's a great example for us. But the thing that just blows me away is that, you know, we do what we can, but we got to understand, man, that our trust has to be totally, totally in the Lord. And in the end, even though we offer these, you know, little barley loaves, which were the bread that was given to the poor, they were the leftovers, no one could use them, God would take it and God would multiply it. And God would feed the thousands. You see, and as they're here, uh, Hezekiah comes and he does uh, his job. Just like we should do our job. The Bible says the horse is prepared for the day of battle. And so we do our best and we train that horse and we you know, get it into shape and we feed it and we get it ready for the day of battle. But we got to know this, that deliverance is of the Lord. And so it says in verse 9, after this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, he sent his servants to Jerusalem, but he and all the forces with him laid siege against Lachish. To Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, In what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, 
saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and all Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this, and do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? You know, and this is exactly what the enemy does, you guys. He comes in and and he's pretty good at his communication. He speaks your language. He penetrates your heart. He shoots those fiery darts of doubt and discouragement. And he tells you, listen, you got to know who I am. I've taken many down, many down. And I'm going to take you down too. I'm going to take your kids down too. I'm going to take your church down too. I'm going to take your ministry down too. And as they're there and they're, you know, listening to all this, notice what happens. It says in verse 16, furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth the work of men's hands. You know, and the devil has taken people down. You know, Sennacherib up to this point could not be stopped. We know according to history that he had already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And so when you see him now surrounding your city, the city of Jerusalem, you know, it's, it's a challenging thing to really trust the Lord, to really totally trust the Lord. You know, when you read the whole story here, it's kind of interesting the way it unfolds. Again, like I said, it's in Isaiah, it's in Second Kings. And, you know, what had happened was uh, they wrote this letter, they delivered it to Hezekiah. And what Hezekiah did was he took that letter and that scroll and he unrolled it and he spread it out before the Lord. He said, Lord, look at the way they're reproaching your name. Look upon their threats. And he brought it before the Lord. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to just surrender this, unroll it, cast our cares down at the Lord and just bring it before him and allow the Lord to take care of it. You see, this is what God is going to teach us in our study tonight. Eventually, we're going to go over to Psalm 46, but it's always good to lay a real good background to the Psalms because it helps you to understand them really, really well. 
You know, and I don't know if you've ever seen a Christian or sometimes it could be your spouse or maybe it's your child or maybe it's somebody in the ministry and something happens just to make them freak out. (laughs) Have you guys ever seen that, you know? I have too many times, you know, and you just sometimes you wish and maybe sometimes it's you, I don't know, but, you know, you want to teach your children to trust the Lord. You want to teach your wife to trust the Lord. You want to teach your husband to trust the Lord. You want to teach those serving with you to trust the Lord. No freak outs, man. No, you know, tripping out on this. Our God is with us. And the Lord says it in 2 Kings 18 and 19. And he says it in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. And then he says it again, just in case you have missed it, in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. And he just really wants his people to totally trust him. Because the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. Because there's only two ways to walk, either fear or faith. Those two do not coexist. You'd be surprised to find that when you don't walk in faith, all other walks are walks of fear. And that's why it's so important that we we don't fear anyone or anything but God. You know, sometimes we get angry. Anger is rooted in fear. So many of our decisions are rooted in fear. Well, what if I fail? Or what if this happens? Or what if they say that? And all those things dictate our decisions. What if the enemy defeats me in this fashion or that? And we just, unfortunately, we don't walk by faith. And the Lord just says, I want you to know who I am. I mean, I sent down one angel of the Lord and it's probably the Lord Jesus himself who is the one that said, I'm with you. And he said, listen, I'll take care of the Assyrian army. I'll take care of that army that's coming against you. I'll take down those strongholds. I'll watch over your children. He really wants to teach us that. And so he says it to us. And then he says it again to us. And then he says it again to us. And then he writes a few psalms about it. And then he just continues to teach us the most common command in the whole Bible. Don't be afraid. Because look what happens. It says right here in verse 20. Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, They prayed and they cried out to heaven. And then the angel sent, the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. And so he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them, notice it says, on every side. And that's what the Lord wants to communicate to us, and that's what the Lord will do. 
You know, as I shared earlier, over in Isaiah 36 and 37, 2 Kings 18 and 19, it says that the Lord sent an angel of the Lord, one angel, capital A, and he slew 185,000 uh, Assyrians. And the amazing thing, we're going to see it in our psalm tonight, is he left all the bodies there. That way you can come and check it out, you know. <laughs> Look at what God has done. And God wants to encourage us with that tonight and with that as a background we go back background we go over to psalms again chapter 46 and we read it with that as a background now it's not just that it's also in reference to our future millennial kingdom and even our future in heaven but it has as its background both of those things and look what it says back in psalm 46 it says to the chief musician a psalm of the sons of korah a song for Alamath. And we know the sons of Korah were the descendants of Korah, the rebel. Always, always an expression of his grace every time you read this. It says right here, a song for Alamath. And we're not really sure. Uh, most believe uh, it was a, in reference to some type of a young woman, maybe even a soprano. But the interesting thing is when you read the Levitical account, you find that there was no woman in, in females, I guess you could say, allowed in the choir. So maybe this was in reference to the ladies that were out there singing along in this psalm. We're, we're not sure. But we see here the, the, the heart of, of our text. Because look what it says right here in verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. It's so cool. I love this verse. We see here not just who God is. We see who God is to us. Notice it says right here, number one, he's our refuge. And that's when it's, it's raining, man, when it's stormy, when it's snowing, when the elements are against us. He is our shelter from the storm. He is our protection from the danger. It says right here that he is our strength, a very present help in trouble. He is the one that gives us the power to go on, the might to continue. You know, a lot of times I think we think we're tough. You know, hey, Manny, you're pretty mighty. Yeah, I'm mighty mouse. That's who I am, man. I can't do anything. The Bible explicitly says I can do nothing apart from him, right? But he is my might. Wow. When you put it that way, uh, even though I'm not worthy, and even though I'm not able, and even though I'm wicked and wretched and unworthy in all manner of life, I realize that the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my strength. Kind of like Asa cried out in Second Chronicles 14.11. It says, And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it's nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. It's so cool. We see who God is to us. He's our refuge. He's our strength. It says right here, he's a very present help in trouble. 
You know, I, I just pray that we would never, ever think as Christians that God is some distant deity. You know, that He's a Father who's far away from us, not aware really of all the intricacies and the details of what's going on in our life and our thoughts and our days. That He doesn't feel the pain that you feel. No. Whatever you do, don't think that. He knows every tear. He knows every hair. He knows everything that's going on. He's not far away. He's our creator and he cares for us and he is so close to us. He's our very present help in trouble. And that right there, it means literally abundantly available. You know, he's not an almighty God unable to aid us. He's a very... Present help, it says right there, in those times of trouble. You know, and that's why I want to encourage you guys. You know, as you find yourself going through whatever it is that you're going through, maybe it's not now, maybe it'll be tomorrow. You got to tuck this away and you got to file this away to where it's easily accessible. But when you're going through it, you got to know He's right there. You got to know that. It's like Peter when he's walking on water. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And the Lord says, come. And Peter gets out and he gets on the water and he starts walking. And what ends up happening, man, he takes his eyes off the Lord. And we know the storm and the wind and, you know, the waves and the enemy just come in just so many ways. And, and he begins to sink. And, you know, he says uh, the quickest prayer in the Bible, help. <laughs> and the Lord, of course, you know, he doesn't let him drown. But he missed such a wonderful opportunity to walk on water. You know, Peter never walked on water again. I don't know about you, but I would have wanted that opportunity, man, to walk on water but, you know, if we get our eyes off the Lord, if we start looking and focusing on the wind and the waves and, you know, the storm against us, if we gaze at our problems rather than gazing at God, then we're going to sink as well. And we're going to miss opportunities. And God is just wanting to prepare us beforehand. Manny, when you're there, stay focused. When you're there, Walking on water. Believe in me. I'll help you. I'm right here with you. Just stay focused. And that's exactly what the Lord wants to communicate to us, you guys. He's not far. He's so close. May we never forget our God is with us. And he's been with us all along. He's able and willing to help us. It says in the book of Acts 18, it says in verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. He said, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. Why? Because I'm with you. That's why. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And that's the only reason we carry on. That's the only reason we have hope, huh? is because we know our God is with us. As a matter of fact, that's what we're going to see over and over again as we read this chapter together. 
we see who our God is to us. It says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then we see the application in verse 2, therefore we will not fear. You see. And the Lord just wants us to really have that in our heart. In our mind, it just goes crazy. It goes haywire. We start going all down all these trails of, of trouble, of the things that might happen, and you know. And we have all these fears, you guys. And the Lord says, "Listen, man. We will not fear when you know who God is. There must be application for the truths of the Scripture, and in this case, the power and the care of the Creator." leads to courage for all Christians. You know, you're not afraid of abandonment. You're not afraid of disability. You're not afraid of death. No. You're not afraid of financial turmoil. You're not afraid of physical troubles. You're not afraid emotionally. You're not afraid spiritually. Not that you're arrogant, but our confidence is in the Creator. Or what if there's a massive earthquake, you know, and mountains start shifting and shaking and moving and waves and walls of water start coming against us? Well, the Lord says there in verse 2, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Salah. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but that sounds pretty, pretty crazy, man. <laughs> you know, and God is just basically saying, listen, I don't care what you're going through. I do not want you to be afraid. Come hell or high water, Jesus Christ will save the day. He will save us, his church. He will save us, his bride. He will save us, his people. He will save you, and he will save me. And God says in the midst of that, right there in verse 3, Selah, I want you to stop, and I want you to think about it. You know, we don't have time to meditate nowadays. we got so many things going on. But God says to meditate on this so that it will strengthen you no matter what comes your way. And I still remember when I got diagnosed with high blood pressure, you know, and I kind of thought, you know, the, God, the doctor told me, man, you, you know, you're, you're 170 or 180. I don't know, it was really high. And, uh, you know, I just left the doctor's office and I thought, okay, I'm dead. I mean, that's it, man. You know, I don't know much. I went online and you go online and you start doing research about things and believe you me, it's sometimes worse because <laughs> you get all these doom and gloom things and they say, oh, there's no hope for you, Manny. That's pretty much what I read on the internet. So I started saying goodbyes to my family, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't know if there was a fear of dying, but man, I faced it in, in one sense. In my own little, you know, world, I, I kind of faced it. And... um it, it was a trap. It was a trap. You know, and probably more fears for my, my family. Lord, what's going to happen to them? 
But even in that, you can't. You gotta trust him. We gotta trust him with our kids. We can't be afraid. God will take care of them. God will take care of everything. It doesn't matter if there's an earthquake, tornado, hurricane. God's on the throne. And God doesn't want us to be gripped by fear in any way. The only fear that's proper is the fear of God. God help us to know that. You know, and this can happen in so many ways. It might be literal, things that take place, an earthquake, hurricane, tornado, volcano. I don't know. Living in California, we're supposed to fall into the sea pretty soon from what I heard, you know. But you know what? Those things that happen in life, you know, in the ministry, man, things are like going so smooth and all of a sudden, boom, the change and boom, the challenges and boom, the unexpected. And one day everything changes because the bomb just drops in your life. And you just know, man, it will never be the same. The mountains have just moved in my life. And God says, don't be afraid. But why not? Why can't I be afraid? Why can't I be afraid of hell when it comes against me? Why can't I be afraid of the calamities on earth? And God says, the answer is heaven. Because look what it says there in verse 4. It says, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. So why aren't we afraid? Well, there's the city of God. That's why we're not afraid. There's a river of God. That's why we're not afraid. There's a throne of God. That's why we're not afraid. There is, there is God. And he will help us. You know, sometimes it's hard to figure out, God, I think if you try, you, you might blow a fuse. <laughs> a lot of times we want God to do what we want him to do in our way and in our time. And God says, you don't have a clue. You think you know what's best for your life, don't you? And you're trying to, to tell God what to do and and we don't know what's best for our life. You know, I know, you know, generally speaking, humanly speaking, we've got this flow that we just think, man, this is the way everything should happen and take place. And to us, it makes sense. But in God's diagnosis of the entire situation, and in the end, bringing himself glory and bringing the people that belong to him to him, he says, no, it's not that way. 
yeah, but Lord, I want my, you know, my cousin or my nephew or my niece or my child or my neighbor or whatever it is to get saved. And God says, so do I. I want them to get saved more than you do. Are you sure? Yeah. And God says, trust me. Please. Trust me. See, it's the city of God. It's the river of God. It's so cool, you guys. We live in the kingdom of God. You know, there in verse 4, this river whose streams, it says right there, shall make glad the city of God. And we know over in the book of Revelation, it speaks about this river that flows from the throne. And it's just a beautiful thing. Like I said earlier, Jerusalem didn't have a river. But this city right here, it has a river. And some say, well, maybe it's the tunnels that Hezekiah dug, you know, that were allowed to go into the city. And, you know, looking back, I suppose that's true. But looking forward, what I think we see right here in one sense is the millennial kingdom and the kingdom of heaven as well. Think about it, man. As children of God, what's the worst thing that can happen to us? You know, and in one sense, I don't know what you guys think about this. Maybe it's not the worst thing, but we can die and move to the city of God. That that sounds pretty cool. I like Almani. I wish I lived in Almani. I've told you guys before I could sell my house and move to Almani. One guy said, hey, I'll trade you houses. I said, okay. I would love to live here at West Covina where I live. is pretty cool. But there ain't nothing like Jerusalem. And that's why I don't have any fears. I mean, the worst thing that can happen to me is I can die and move to the city of God. I can die and drink from the river of God. I can die, the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 4, and the first thing we'll see is the throne of God, the tabernacle of God, to see God. You see, I think a lot of times what ends up happening is when we really look at things according to the scriptures and just that that theology of his sovereignty and even of the eschatology and the things that are going to take place in the future, it just gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. You know, sometimes I look at these uh, older guys or older gals, these ladies that, you know, these older ladies, they've been walking with the Lord for you know, 74 years or something, man, and you talk to them, and man, you know, like like Rawls' uh, mother-in-law, Naomi, man, she's just a, a pillar of faith, strong, believes in God. And I just see her, and there's just a glow about her because there is a trust about her. And I think, Lord, I want to be like her. I want to be like you, but Lord, I see her. She's like what you want me to be. And and I think, you know, maybe being around people like that can be an encouragement. You know, you see these people that have been walking with the Lord and they've gone through so much. And they're still walking with the Lord, you know. And I also think, though, that God will take his word. I'm really believing that he's going to take this word and he's going to change me. And I, and I think he might even change you and make you even stronger in your faith than you've ever been. 
You see, and that's what God wants us to experience. Again, we see here in verse 6, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. And so we know that doesn't happen in heaven. And so again, looking at these things, we look back, we see the Assyrians. But looking forward, we see the millennial kingdom because we know that in the millennial kingdom, as Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom there in Jerusalem and he rules and reigns for a thousand years, we know that at the end of the millennial kingdom, the nations will once again muster up a rebellion against God. And so here we see them doing their thing. And what's going to happen? God will utter his voice. God will speak the word and the enemies of the earth will melt, have been dealt a death blow from God. Isn't that cool? Verse 6, the way that God operates, he just utters his voice. (laughs) He says, see ya, (laughs) and they're gone. You see? And then one day we find out that all along, God was even allowing them to be used to make us the people that we need to be. You see, we've got nothing to fear. Why? Again, there in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. The Lord of hosts. We've come across this title before in the Bible. It doesn't mean that God in this point right here is in reference to his hospitality. Oh, the Lord of hosts. No, that's not what we're reading here. The Hebrew word is in reference to the army, the battle, the war. And he is the God of the army. He is the God of war. He is the God who will fight for us. Do you believe that? You say, well, yeah, you know what? Probably for Billy Graham, I believe it, because homeboy's pretty, he's pretty right on, you know, and I can see God fighting for Billy Graham. (laughs) And that's why the Lord says right here, the God of Jacob, he's a refuge. And he says, stop and think about that for a second. The God of Jacob. Well, why does he change names all of a sudden? Why does God do that? Oh, it's just random. No, it's not. Because we know that Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. And, you know, Israel is a cool name. It means governed by God. And that's when we do pretty good. You know, every once in a while, we're kind of walking with the Lord and we're doing good. But then there are those times when we uh, capitulate and we manipulate and we start to you know, put our hands into the whole process and we start messing up and God says, yeah, you know what? You're, you're messing up, Manny. Again, you blew it again. And then what ends up happening? Right after I do that, then the enemy comes and he says, man, why do you even show up? There's no hope. And you know, don't get me wrong, you guys, we can't sin Lightly, man. Whatever a man sows, that he also reaps. We're going to suffer the consequences somehow. But man, God is still the God of Jacob. And God is still with us. And God will carry us through. I thank God for his grace in my life. Make sure you understand who he is. He's the Lord of hosts. He is the one who is with us. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, 
For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. He doesn't know who you are. You're the apple of his eye. You know, and that means if you were to look into God's eyeball, you know what you would see? You would see you. Because <laughs> he's just got his eyes on you constantly. He can't take his eyes off of you. He's watching over you, you know. And if someone touches you, they have just touched his precious people. And guess what's going to happen, man? He's going to fight for you. He's going to fight for you, you see. And that's who we are. Even though we know we're not worthy, that is who we are. And I really want to encourage you to let that sink in. Because it will radically change your life. You know, I don't know what type of person you are. We've got the pessimists and we've got the optimists. Usually it's just kind of divided up into two camps. And, you know, usually the pessimists are people like, oh, I don't know if God loves me. I don't know if God is with me. I don't know if God is for me. And they're constantly doubting those types of things. And, and you know, I, I just, man, that's hard to live in victory when that's your heart. But when you can just, you know what, just, man... Open up your heart and allow the love of God just to just to flow and to flood and to change. Then you're going to begin to enjoy God and, and you're going to begin to exalt God. And his love will change you. His love will change you. You know, that's why John the Beloved, when you read his gospel, it's so cool the way he would always write, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, who is he talking about? Himself. You know, I'm going to the gospel of John over at Golden Springs. We have the class over there, you know, and the guy's all, why does he keep saying that, you know, about himself? Man, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I said, because he was a healthy Christian. He appropriated the love of God. And we need to know you know, who we are in Him, yeah. And allow that to sink in and allow that to change us. In verse 8, the Lord says this, Come, check out the works of the Lord. Behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. You know, and again, if you're thinking the millennial kingdom or if you're thinking back to Assyria, you see all a hundred, think about this, okay? 185,000 dead soldiers. Think about that. God says, come here, check it out. You know, in the millennial kingdom, when all the nations come against him and he smites them with the sword of his mouth, imagine, and we read about this, imagine just the carnage of bodies and God says, look, look what I am going to do to your enemies. Come and behold, I want you to see this, because what ends up happening in that war, in that victory, it says in verse 9, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. You see, the ultimate warrior, he will bring all wars to an end. And that's why we read in verse 10, one of the favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, God says this, Be still and know that I am God. What, what are you saying, Lord? Let me take care of it. Give it to me 
so that I can take care of it. Yeah, but Lord, I got to get a little proactive in this, man. You know, I've got to set advertisements into the city, man. And, you know, that'll make it happen. And I've got to set up banners. And, you know, we'll do some radio programs, Lord. That'll, that'll make it happen. And God says, listen, I'm going to do the work. And I'm going to do it in my timing. And it's going to be a deep work. I don't want it to be a wide work. And what has happened? Well, over the years, you know, it's just so amazing how the Lord does the work and he brings the people and he will do the work in your life. A lot of times we try to do the work for the Lord and you want to know what ends up happening? You jack it up. (laughs) You mess it up. You know, and I'm not saying you can never do anything. Don't get me wrong, man. Sometimes the Lord will tell you to send a card. He'll tell you to make a phone call. He'll tell you to knock on that door. He'll tell you what to do. But a lot of times it's not the Lord leading you. And you want to take it into your own hands. And God says, you're, you're getting in the way. I love you, but please go back to your prayer closet. Please wait on me. Yeah, but Lord, what if this happens? Lord, I don't want this to happen. And God says, my, my precious, precious child. If I allow that to happen, remember my promise. Romans eight twenty eight, That all things work together for good. To those who love God. And who are the called according to his purpose. You're so afraid that this might happen. Well, let me ask you a question tonight. Do you love God? Are you the called? You're a Christian, right? Then this is going to be for good. Can you trust God in that? I pray that you could. Because let me tell you something, man. If not, you will sink. You'll sink. That's how we have to trust God. We have to trust Him in that. To be still literally means to restrain. It means to take your hands off. It means to relax. Not in a bad sense, but you take a a big breath and you're like, wow, Lord, okay. You are on the throne. And Lord, you give me peace. I thank you for that. And I trust you. No matter what happens, I trust you. You know, when Job was going through what he went through, and he lost everything, man. I mean, you know what? You take my house, that's okay. Job lost his house. And, you know, you take my health, and I, and I you know what? That's okay, man. You take my health. But you take my kids... lost everything what did he do he worshipped he worshipped God and he acknowledged the fact naked he came naked he would leave blessed be the name of the Lord though he slay me Job said Yet will I trust in him. You see, and that's the type of Christian that God wants us to be. He really does. This is not just for the super saint. It's for all of his people. 
and by His Holy Spirit. God wants to do that work in our life. You know, God told some pretty cool people to to kind of, you know, be still. He, he told Moses, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Wow, what a work the Lord did through Moses. He told Ruth to sit still. Wow, what a work the Lord did through Ruth. And he's telling us tonight to be still. And that means that you just let the Lord be the Lord. You let him take over. You let him have full control. That we just be broken, right? I mean, you ride a horse, and I wish I would ride more horses. I've only done it a couple of times in my life. But, man, imagine riding a horse, you know, and you're like, hey, this is cool. And then, you know, it just does its own thing. And you want to go left, it goes right. You know, you want to stop. It says, no, I'm going to go. And, you know, it. And, you know, a lot of times that's us with the Lord, and we're just not broken. We're not surrendered to Him. God says, listen, I want you to know this, man, that one day when all this is said and done, when all the dust is cleared, God says there in verse 10, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And, you know, there's a couple of things in that. I think it's so cool. You know, you look at what's going on around us today and how there's just so much blasphemy that's taking place. And to me, it's good to know that every single soul, that every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think that is so cool ah, to know that he will be exalted but man also in looking at that i think it's important for us to know that he will be exalted and not me and that's why i have to make sure that i don't get stuck on my agenda no no things happen because god's going to be exalted see And he just closes right here. It's so cool with what we read earlier. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Salah. Yeah, but I'm not the best of his kids. I'm a struggling saint. I'm a very imperfect posterity. And God says, yeah, I know all about that, man. But understand that you are the God of Jacob. And as God is the God of Jacob then he will fight for us. I just think that's so cool to know, man. You know, I think of what the Lord wants to do in our life and how he really wants to change us. There's got to be that transformation, that metamorphosis. And, uh, you know, it's hard for people to change, huh? It really is. We're wired, like, so deeply cemented, embedded in our own ways and, You know, um, it's difficult. But when you allow the Word of God to take root and be planted into your heart, then we can change. And we can go out and, uh, you know, trust the Lord. One foot in front of another, both eyes on Jesus Christ. And and God will do a work. And so I just pray, man, that that we would have that heart, you know, because... Like I always tell you guys, you know, um, 
the Lord wants to do a, uh, such a great work. Um, he wants to slay so many giants. He really does. There's a lot of ugly giants out there. Uh, gigant, gigantous, if that's a word. Goliaths, nine feet tall. And, and God is just saying, man, where is David? Where is he? There was that little 16-year-old ruddy-looking kid that would run up to the giant and just with all his heart, even though all Saul's men were on the sidelines and they were shaking in their boots and no one was willing to step forward, they were so afraid. God said, where's David? Where's, you know, I had a friend named Davidina. Where's Davidina, man? The one that would be willing to come and to slay that giant. And it's not that David was that good. And, you know, David had, you know, seen what God had done in killing a bear and killing a lion. And God had shown his faithfulness to him, yes. But it was that his God was good. And you guys, we got to know that the same God that David has, that, that, that's, that's our God. And he's going to use you. He's going to bless you. Why? Because we we got to believe in Him with everything that we are, man. Be still and know that He, the Lord, is God. Even though you're a Jacob, and I know some of you here, you little Jacobs, man. <laughs> I know who I am. It's okay. He's with us. You know, I was listening to a song earlier today by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and I just love the lyrics to it, man. And let me just read it to you because when the Lord is the Lord of hosts you know when he is the agent of God's army when he's the captain in charge it's so cool to know that he will go before us and I wish I could sing the song to you but I can let me just read it to you before we close it says right here it says when you are a soldier I will be your shield I will go with you into the battlefield. And when the arrows start to fly, take my hand and hold on tight. I will be your shield because I know how it feels when you are a soldier. And when you're tired from running, I will cheer you on. Look beside you and you'll see you're not alone. And when your strength is all but gone, I'll carry you until you're strong. And I will be your shield because I know how it feels when you are a soldier. And when you're lost in darkness, I will hold the light. I will help you find your way through the night. I'll remind you of the truth and keep the flame alive in you. And I will be your shield because I know how it feels when you are a soldier. Isn't that cool? You, you got to get the song on iTunes. I'm serious, man. The Lord will fight for us. Please don't ever forget that, you guys. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lesson in the Psalms tonight, Lord. Uh, not only do we fight, um, Lord, the ones that are coming against us, not only are we on the defensive, but we're also on the offensive, Lord. We want to step out. We want to gain ground for God and his glory. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would work that work in our lives, in the family, in the ministry, all the days of our life, Father, that we would be used by you to make a difference in someone's life. Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters here, whatever they might be facing today or tomorrow, down the road, Lord, I pray that your word, that you, Lord God, would carry them with this truth to totally trust you in all things. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are to us. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.